them out and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 14 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere near you on the floor. And this morning's passage can be found on page 977. 977. As you can probably hear, my voice is a little weak this morning. So uh, any any limitations that I have, I expect you guys to verbally respond. You know, keep things going, keep things moving. Appreciate that. Um, but we have been, since the beginning of the year, in the book of Ephesians. And here we are, rounding out the, the first three chapters, which really outline who we are as the people of God what the gospel actually is and how that transforms how we uh, view ourselves and how we view um, our role as the church together. And so uh, in the the next half of Ephesians, what you're going to see is how the the church functions on the ground and how that good news of the gospel begins to uh, bear fruit. And so there's going to be a lot of very practical things that we're going to look at. But what bridges both of those things together is... uh, is this prayer and uh, it's actually one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. So I'm excited that we can uh, dive into Ephesians three fourteen through 21 this morning. Um, so I don't know a lot about engineering, but I, I spent uh, three semesters as an engineering major. Uh, and that was about enough to uh, do me in. Uh, actually, probably more like Slade talked about. I'm more of a, probably a creative type than I knew at the time. But uh, uh, really, actually what happened is I, I met my wife. And I said, I can't stay in school. I've got to quit school and get a job and get married. So that's, that was my short-lived engineering degree. But in there, um, you know, you, you learn some principles and you learn some things. And um, a few years ago... I was on a trip with uh, my friend Chuck in Tacoma, Washington, and we were going over the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, and he asked me if I knew the story of the bridge, and, you know, honestly, I didn't. I mean, I I must have skipped that part in my engineering background, Um, but when I I returned home, I I Googled it, um, and I started to read about it, Uh, and it's actually a a really fascinating thing. You probably, we've got a video they're about to show you here in a few minutes. You can can see how uh, this actually played out in time. space, but uh, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge honestly was uh, uh, an engineering nightmare and disaster. I mean, it, it lasted uh, all of four months and six days before its collapse. Um, and we've got some high-definition 1940s video that kind of captures it for us. All right, that's a real person. It's not a stunt double. There was some really awesome narrative in the background um, where they were saying this guy barely escaped death. But yeah, this is in November of 1940. See the bridge. It looks like a ride at Disneyland, to be honest with you. I think I know how how this is going to end, though. I won't ruin it for you. There you go. Yeah. So years, years of development and uh, lots of tax dollars down the drain right there. Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Um, And so, you know, I mean, when you see that, I mean, you you kind of expect like if you're going to drive over uh, 
a bridge like that, that it's going to be sound and that the government actually knows what they're doing. And um, as I began to just do a little bit of research on there, uh, I pulled out my aerodynamics uh, textbook, also known as Wikipedia. And <laughs> in Wikipedia, uh, it said that the cause of the destruction of uh, this particular bridge was aerolastic flutter. Now, I have no idea what that means. I'm going to be completely honest with you, but I'm going to try to make it simple for all of us. Like outside forces like the wind tested the internal strength of the bridge and the bridge collapsed, right? And the reason that I bring all of that up and show you that picture is, um, and even what we were singing about in worship. I mean, there are times that our lives feel like that bridge, right? Where we are storm-tossed and afflicted in the words of Isaiah 54, where um, our internal strength is really pressed on from the outside. Where, And when those kinds of things happen, I mean, it, it can be because of something that we've done, like our sin and our failure and just being human. It can be something that's done to us. It can be a, a prolonged season of suffering. And, and when you get into those kinds of seasons and you begin to kind of feel like that bridge, it's going to affect how you see all of life. And so you begin to ask questions about yourself, who you are. Right? You begin to ask questions about who is God. Like, there must have been something that I did that ticked him off. Right? I mean, that's, that's what our natural inclination is when, when things start to feel topsy-turvy in our lives. Like, we begin to question God. Um, and then, ultimately, we begin to question our call. We wonder, like, how in the world could God use somebody like me with this much baggage and this much junk in our lives? Right? And... This is a prayer for spiritual strength for the church um, that helps us in those seasons where we feel internally weak, right? Because it matters um, where you turn in moments like that. Because um, as Americans, the, the number one thing that we do when things get difficult is we just put our heads down and we grind through it and we try to push through, right? But... God has a different plan and a different perspective of how he deals with the internal struggles of his people, especially in light of trying to be the church. And so that's what we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 14 through 21. So if you have your Bibles open, would you read with me if you could stand as we read God's word. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you, this is an amazing statement, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's his purpose for his people. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would, um, even in these moments, that you would do something significant, that you would do something lasting, that you would strengthen us, that you would... Help us to be rooted and grounded in your love so that when we are storm-tossed and afflicted, that we will not buckle, but that we will be a picture of your grace and your power. Um, I pray that you would minister to any here that are suffering and feeling the effects of their own sin and shame, that you would deliver them. I pray that you would help us to come more alive to who you have us to be as your people. To do that, we need the power of your Holy Spirit. This is not automatic. You don't just do this vicariously because we showed up today. No, we need you to actually travel the distance from our heads to our hearts and change our lives. We ask that you would allow us the the privilege of experiencing the truth of this passage this morning. I need your help to proclaim this to these people that I love and I pray that you would do more than we can ask or imagine or think as we look at Ephesians 3. Amen. Right, Ephesians chapter 3. Now, if you've been following along uh, very long with us, um, you you might be tempted to think that um, Paul is a little bit ADD. Um, He is a little bit all over the map. So if you've read chapters 1, 2, and 3, I mean, he's kind of in and out everywhere that he goes. Um, It's a little bit like that uh, Disney Pixar movie Up. Any of you guys seen that? How many of you guys have seen that, right? All right, that's awesome. I dare you to watch that movie and not cry, right? I mean, it it teaches you something about love and marriage and commitment. Um, But the coolest thing in that whole movie is there um, is this technology that's developed where you can understand what the dogs are saying. You know what I'm saying? The dogs are talking back and forth and you can kind of follow them along a little bit. Um, And instead of, you know, their regular dog chow, they say they want a cheeseburger. Um, But what's really funny is they, they don't have a very long attention span. And so if you've seen the movie they'll be having conversation um, and then there'll be a squirrel and he'll say squirrel and he'll run off and he'll be trailing off well that's what what it seems like Paul is doing a lot during this letter like he's talking about who the church is and he's talking about Jesus and then he breaks into this prayer and then he goes back out of the prayer and then he's kind of all over the map you know and we're tempted to think man dude could you just stay on task for one minute right and Paul, I mean, what I love about this, it's, it's not just that, that he lacks focus, but it's, it's that his emotions catch up with him, right? I mean, he, as he begins to consider who this church is and what God has actually said about them, um, every time that he begins to think about that, he just breaks into praise and he just breaks into prayer because he's just overwhelmed by the truth that God would have mercy on people that are broken and that he would make them into something beautiful. And that's what happens at the church at Ephesus and that's what's happening here for us. And that's why verse 14 starts out. It says, for this Reason You have to understand what this reason is to actually benefit from the prayer. So the, the short answer to for this reason is that Paul really wants this church to get it. 
He wants this church to understand just how loved, accepted, treasured, and adored they are as the people of God. Like, he, he wants this not to just be some theological concept that's way out there, but he wants it to be the passion that keeps these people going day in and day out. He wants them to know. So the short answer to why this prayer is in the Bible is because God wants us and he wants this church to know exactly who they are as the people of God, right? It's impossible for us to be able to fulfill like anything external that we're going to try to do for God without understanding who we are as the people of God. He wants this group of people to be captivated by what it means to be the church. Now, See, I mean, we, we have this, and we have it in a book, and you probably have it. It's like hardbound, you know. But, I mean, you just have to imagine, like, this was originally, like, a letter that was read in house churches in Ephesus where people were being persecuted for their faith, and they were dying, and there was social ridicule for following Jesus, and they're all kind of cuddled up into someone's living room, and they hear this message that they have received a letter from the Apostle Paul. And listen, they're people just like us. I mean, they're people that are afraid. They're people that are insecure. They're people that are not really sure if God can use them. They're people that have marriage issues and parenting issues. These are people with sexual addictions that make anything that anybody in this room is facing look paltry, to be very honest with you. Right? These kinds of people, that's who's receiving this letter. And then, I mean, if you look back at the beginning of chapter 1, this is what he says in verse 2. As they're waiting, you know, they're thinking this could be a bad letter from the Apostle Paul. He says, I want you to know grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so immediately, like, their consciences are eased. He's speaking a word of grace to us. And then he goes on very specifically in the rest of chapter 1. He says, I want you to know that you have been loved before the foundation of the world. And it's not based on anything that you've ever done. I want you to know that you've been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. I want you to know that you have been forgiven of every sin in the past, the present, and the future. That you have been stamped and sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit that will keep you until the end. Because that's, it's about his faithfulness and not ours. Like that's the kind of message that they're hearing. That's the reason that this prayer is in the Bible. Is so that the people of God understand just how loved and just how accepted they are as the people of God. Right? Before you ever try to do anything for God, you have to understand who you are in Jesus Christ. Because, listen. The truth is. Every person in this room is tempted to give up on anything God calls them to do before they ever take a step because they think they're disqualified because of who they are. Every person in this room believes that lie. This prayer is to undo that lie. He wants us to come alive to who we are in Jesus Christ. Because we're tempted to dismiss the call of God on our lives because of our lack of perfection. 
when it was never meant to be about our perfection. It was meant to be about the perfection of the Savior. Right? What if we began to believe that failure and sin is not the end of God's plan for our life, but it is a part of God's plan for our life, right? What if we begin to actually believe that? Now, I'm not saying go out and fail. I'm not saying go out and sin. I'm saying you will go out and fail and you will sin, but that is no match for the grace of God. And that's the story that Paul is telling to the Ephesians, and that's the story that God has for us as well. So where in your life and where in your story are you tempted to believe that you have too much baggage for God to use you? Where are you tempted to believe in your life right now that it's too late for you? It's exactly at that point that this prayer is in the Bible for. See, the church is about taking imperfect people to tell the story of a perfect Savior. Ultimately, the reason that this passage is in the Bible is so that we come alive for God's vision, not just for the universal church, but for this church, right? He wants us to understand who we are, right? I mean, for, for church to be a place where people actually come together and they come in contact with the living son of God who gave himself up for sinners and people are absolved and released from their guilt and their shame and their burdens and their sins. That takes the power of God, right? Because it's a lot easier just to say, hey, we're going to meet together for a couple of hours a week. But it's a different thing to say, hey, we're going to all come together with all of our guilt and with all of our shame. And we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to turn around and we're going to be different as a result. But that's what this prayer is in the Bible for, is to absolve us of our guilt. This prayer is in the Bible because it takes supernatural power for us to begin to fulfill our call as the people of God. A few weeks ago, I mean, we we looked at the call of the church to be this multi-ethnic, multi-colored picture of the wisdom and the power and the beauty of God. We can't do that on our own. We can't do that in our own strength. Thankfully, God provides the power and the motivation and the strength in this passage. He wants us to come alive to who we are. Because if we're honest, like, it's very easy for us to believe that God has a plan for the person that's sitting next to you, right? I mean, that doesn't take a lot of faith to believe that that God's going to use some people in this room to accomplish his plan. But it's a different thing to believe that you actually are an integral part of God's plan for this church and for this city. God wants us to come alive to what that means for us. So that's the reason that this prayer is in the Bible. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So, I mean, Jewish people up until this time, I mean, they normally, they would stand and pray and they would lift their hands. But, I mean, he's so overwhelmed with this idea of the people of God understanding who they are. He bows his knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That's just a shorthand for all the people of God, all the church for all time and all generations. He's overwhelmed by God's plan and his scope for the church. And so, yeah, my only question is, 
When's the last time that you marveled just at what he wants to do in and through the church? That's why this is here. All right, that brings me to my second point. God actually wants us to experience his power and his love. Look at verse 16. We're going to read verses 16 through 19. It says, That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, what these verses communicate is, there's a, there's a radically different way that God builds his church and his people than the way we typically think he builds his church and his people. God's way is about experiential love and experiential power through the Holy Spirit. We normally bypass all of that and we make it about activity and busyness and running from this Bible study to this Bible study when this kind of activity may or may not be happening, right? I mean, God's plan for changing the world begins with individual um, Christians coming alive to the fact of the height and the breadth and the width and the length of Christ's love for them and experiencing that to the point that they are full of the fullness of God, right? It's not just Christians growing together in, in some kind of small little huddle. No, it's, it's the, the result of those kinds of meetings are supposed to bring people face to face with the love and the power of God. Now, that can sound a little mystical, a little bit like riding unicorns, maybe, or chasing rainbows. Um, but listen, we're, we're talking about who God is, right? The infinite God of the universe that spoke the world into being with a word. We're talking about what he actually wants for us is to encounter his love in its fullness, and then for all of us to be filled with his fullness. That's an incredible invitation, right? That's different than, hey, I might have time to go to small group this week. I mean, that is, that is a revolutionary invitation from God to be filled with his fullness. How many of you would be honest enough to say, hey, in high school, I enjoyed math class. Like, I went to my locker. All right, okay, there's one, two, yeah, three. All right, that's fine. This is a safe place. You can raise your hand. I'm not going to judge you. I, that was not me, all right? Um, I remember, uh, and my parents are here on the front row this morning, so they can testify to this. Geometry was the absolute worst class that I ever had in the history of high school. And uh, I have to, I've got to be honest now because I'm, I'm a pastor. Um, it wasn't the teacher's fault. It was my fault. And it's coming clean right now. I, I blamed it on the teacher back then that said she was, you know, yeah. My daughter's in geometry right now. We're feeling each other. Anyway, so geometry, here we are. Like, I, I didn't remember a lot of things from geometry, but I did remember the Pythagorean theorem, right? A squared plus B squared equals C squared. You guys tracking with me? Right? 
Um, now, why that's useful, I'm not really sure, but I remember doing lots of problems where, okay, well, here's A and here's C, so solve for B, and here's, here's C, so solve for B, and, you know, and I did that over and over and over again. And as I was reading this passage, I mean, honestly, like, most of us relate to God like we relate to the Pythagorean theorem, right? We know it's true. We know it's important. We're not sure why it's important, and we're not sure if it's actually useful in real life, right? I mean, that's, that's the truth, what we think about um, when I talk about the experiential love of God or the experiential power that comes from the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, when we start to talk about that, I mean, it's like that seems so mystical and out there, but there's a real-world application, and I hope it becomes obvious to us as we continue, God actually wants us to know and experience him. He's a person. He wants us to experience um, him in his fullness. And it's, it's a knowledge. It, it, it's, it supersedes knowledge, right? It surpasses knowledge. It doesn't bypass knowledge. So for those of you that are getting nervous, like I'm not asking us to just go out into the desert and kind of, you know, get on peyote and start to experience the love of God. Like I'm talking about, though, with all of our faculties, that, that wasn't scripted. So everybody's laughing. I'm talking about allowing the truth that you know from Scripture, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to begin to shape and change you. Right? Talking about slowing down enough from our busy lives to saying, hey, hold on, wait a minute. Like, are we actually even accomplishing anything with what we're doing? Like, is anybody actually feeling more loved right now? Right? That's a good question to ask. Like, because... Uh, and listen, I live in this world. I'm a pastor. I do this for a living. But, I mean, if, if our lives and, and, and when we come together and people aren't tangibly helped, like if the spirit of adoption is not present and people don't feel more of a part of the family of God and people don't feel more tangibly forgiven, right? I mean, there's a lot of other things that we could be doing, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of shows we could catch up on on Netflix, right? But... This is an invitation to actually experience the truth of why Jesus came into the world. And that's, that's what Paul wants us to come alive to. Now, when we start talking uh, about the person of the Holy Spirit, I mean, uh, there's, there's some groups in here that are going to get really excited, right? And then there's other people. Um, there's a little bead of sweat that might be on your forehead right now, maybe over your lip a little bit. You get a little bit nervous, um, but this is what I want to say um, about the experiential power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot let some wacko crazy person on TV who wears a white suit and blows on people steal your inheritance from you, right? You can't let some lady that looks like she got thrown out of her 80s rock glam band scare you out of the reality of who the spirit is and what they are actually what the spirit is actually there to bring to you which is to make you come alive to the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of God's love that's the definition of a spirit filled church by the way is people the, the 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 role of the holy spirit is to shine a spotlight on Jesus so his finished work is experienced by his people right it's not people throwing around some 
random phrases that I won't repeat. But, I mean, this is, this is about coming alive to who Jesus is. So the, the, this prayer is an invitation for us to experience His power and then to experience His love in all of its fullness. Listen, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So how do you keep from being shaken? How do you keep from, where do you turn when you are storm-tossed and afflicted? Right? You turn to the power of the Spirit to open your eyes to the truth of the love of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm completely inadequate to do this, but I'm going to try. His love for you is amazing. His love for you is extravagant. His love for you is without limits. It is without boundaries. His love for you is not based on whether you had a good week this week. It's not based on the fact that you yelled at your kids or you didn't yell at your kids. It's not based on the fact that you looked at porn or you didn't look at porn this week. His love has nothing to do with who you are. His love has everything to do with who he is and his unchanging character. His love for his people will never change. We have a God that will never change. And we have a God that lifted up his own son on a cross as the measure and the extent of his love. So that the people of God would know the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of his love. That's what... Christ came into the world so that there would be no questions so that we no longer have to try to prove ourselves and improve ourselves but that we could look to the spot and focus on his love and be different as a result that is that is why we come together that is why we gather in small groups is to rehearse that truth to us Psalm 103, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so far is his great love for us. That's the truth. God has us to experience his love. You don't have to clean yourself up to experience this love. This love is available right now. That's why I love the story of the prodigal son. I mean, you have the heart of the father I mean, the prodigal son who was off in a far country and every person in this room has been to a far country this week, right? We've all walked away. We've all strayed. And when he comes to his senses, he says, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to go back to his house. Still had the smell of pigsty on him. And what does he see? A father that's running towards him. Someone in this room needs to see the Father is running towards you. He's, he's not stiff-arming you. He's not asking you to clean yourself up. He's inviting you to come in and enjoy your inheritance as a son and a daughter of God. His love for you is immeasurable. And then I love, he says, I don't, this isn't just for so that you can get your um, love of God buzz, which is great. 
Like, we need that individually. But he says, I want you to experience this with all the saints. Right? This is the purpose of the church, is to experience this love. So let me tell you what happens when a group of people, it's not just the passion of the pastor or the small group leaders that people experience the, the love of God in its fullness. You know what happens? Walls start coming down when people demand to be fed the love of God and the substitution of Jesus for their sins, right? Divisions and hostility end. Marriages are restored and repaired. There's revitalization that happens in families. When that is the heartbeat of the people of God. That is why we are in this city. We will never grow tired and we will never apologize for preaching the grace and the love of Jesus. It is the only thing that changes people. Right? This this is why we're here this morning. To experience the height and the depth and the width and the length of his love. And so pray this this prayer for us as a church. Like... I mean, I'm not saying you have to get up at 5 a.m. and start interceding for this meeting. But I am saying, like, just what if everybody here just prayed those few verses for us that we would experience his love when we gather. Right? Because we don't need anything more than that to experience that. So, we, he, God actually wants us to experience his power and his love. And then he gives us this wonderful benediction that that transitions from chapter 3 to chapter 4. Look at verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. I don't even know how to begin to get my hands around what these verses say. But, I mean, he's saying this God is able to do far more abundantly than anything that we think or ask. It's a word, like, he's using the infinite degree of words that he knows how to describe God's power. It's kind of like when I was a kid, I, I would say things like, hey, I've got a kajillion of these, right? I mean, that's, he's, he's try, just his heart can't contain just how powerful God is and how much that God actually wants this for his people, the church. So he's saying he can do far more than you can ask or think. His power transcends the natural borders that we have, right? I mean, and the implication for this is that we tend to think too little and ask too little of a God that can do more, right? Because this, this prayer is in the Bible to begin to tear down the boxes that we've placed God in, right? Because all of us, um, <laughs> this is a question. This is, this, is, this is it. When was the last time that you actually asked God for what you wanted not what you think he might be capable of. When's, when's the last time that you asked him to actually do what's in your heart to do, right? And I'm talking about kingdom kinds of prayers. When's the last time that you just said, I know I'm not worthy in myself. I, I know that the resources don't appear to be here for, for what you've placed in my heart to do. But I'm going to ask not because of what I see, but I'm going to ask in accordance with who you are. When is the last time that you asked God for what you really wanted, right? That's what this prayer is about, is um, tearing down the boxes and limitations that we put on God. God wants us to be able to see him as he is. 
This isn't like a wave your wand magic prayer. So like if you've saved up money for a Prius that you're going to get a Beamer. You know, it's not that kind of prayer. But it is a prayer that God can do more in your life. Right? He can do more through your life. He can do more through our lives corporately as a church. And he wants us not to be limited by what we can see. Right? The biggest obstacle to your walk with Jesus and our walk and our call in the city is what you see with your eyes. You have to be able to see the eyes of your hearts enlightened to know the truth of who God is. And that's faith. That's what this prayer calls forth. It is a glorious thing to see your need for Jesus. But it infinitely glorifies him more when we say, yes, I believe that what you're saying is true. And it's not just true in this universal way, but it's true for me. That's the truth of the gospel. So he wants us to ask in accordance with who he is. And that's good news because we've asked him to do some pretty big things here. You know, we've asked him to help us to labor for every orphan to find a home. I think that's a request that honors the truth of what we're talking about in Ephesians 3. We're talking about seeing the scars of racism healed in our city. And we're asking just to, to play a part in that. That honors the spirit of Ephesians 3. So I'm just asking God that he would stir up those kinds of prayers in our hearts and in our lives so that we can ask for more. And then, I mean, I was trying to work it through my mind. It's like, how does that happen? Because, you know, I mean, most of us, like... You can hear a sermon like that and you're like, yes, we're going to do this and we're going to take the city and we're going to see change infinitely, like in almost instantly. But God's perspective of your life is bigger than your life, right? It, it has this phrase in there that says throughout all generations. So as I was just finishing up this morning, I was thinking about just the millions upon millions of things that took place to get you here this morning throughout all time. Just think about how the gospel got all around the globe, how it got to Memphis, how it got to Jonesboro, and all of those things, how it got to your parents, how it was passed down to you, how it's going to be passed down to the next generation, right? That's because God's perspective of what's going on is bigger than our perspective of what's going on. We don't necessarily always see the immediate fruit of the things that we're doing, but there is this promise like, in the eternity that we're going to see how all of these threads connect in our lives. And we're going to see how the gospel moved down through history and it came through our lives. And we, we just thought things were random things that we were involved in. But you're going to see the, the seeds of the gospel go to the ends of the earth. And all the glory is going to go to Jesus. Right? So God's perspective of our lives are bigger than our lives. It's bigger than what we can see. It's bigger than what we can think. It's bigger than what we can even imagine. So, just this morning, what's that one thing that you think God may want you to be asking for? What is that one thing that you may have seen lay dormant for a while, that you don't see really any possibility of it coming about in your own strength, but God's kind of knocking on the door right now and just saying, hey, 
Why don't you ask in accordance with who I am? Right? And honestly, like, this is just a plug. Leadership class starts tomorrow night. I'm going to be teaching it. Um, that's what this is about. You know, like, this, like, this is the only, uh, this is, all I know to do is to invite you to come and to begin to dialogue about what God's put in your heart. And our desire as pastors and elders is to equip you to do that. It's not to kind of make your vision like my vision and all those things. But it really is to pull out those things that God has uniquely placed in you. Right? So if you have any questions about that, love for you to sign up in the lobby. And I, I think it'll be a, a good several weeks as we begin just to dialogue about what God may be pleased to do in your life and in this city. Um, but I want to just bring it back around to this. More than anything, God wants us to be secure in his love. And so we're going to transition to a time of singing and we're going to transition to a time of communion. I want you to be convinced of his infinite love and his infinite power that's at work towards you, the church. He loves you more than you can dare to dream, ask, or even imagine or think. But his power for you is going to be at work bringing about that love and then giving that love to the world. That's the truth of Ephesians 3. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your great love. I pray that just as we conclude this service today that you would continue to impress on our hearts your love. I pray that you would resurrect gospel dreams that may have lain dormant in this room. I pray that you would stir us towards faith and towards action and not towards sentimentality. I pray that you would help us to be different as a result of encountering Jesus. I pray that you would bring assurance to those who doubt right now. I pray that you would bring comfort to those who are suffering. And I pray that you would allow all of us to see Jesus in his fullness. It's in his name we pray. Amen.